Let me invite you to turn to Romans chapter 12 this morning. Romans chapter 12. The truth of the gospel ought to lead us to transformation. We sing songs about our our Savior and about the gospel that we love because it ought to motivate us like we just finished singing um, Calvary covers it all that that Christ his death paid for our life and so that should lead to something as we come to reflect on the the fuller theology of of what God has done for us in Romans chapters 1 through 11 then it should cause us to reflect on that mercy that we have received and then that in turn should motivate us to do what we saw last week in verses 1 and 2, to offer our bodies, our lives as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God. This is what God expects of us. And this commitment to total transformation requires that we actively engage in the process. We saw that last time as well, that the sanctification doesn't happen automatically. It doesn't happen if we just sit back and do nothing. Sanctification cannot happen apart from our effort. We have to actively engage our minds, not allowing our minds to be shaped or transformed by the world. And the way that we do that is by renewing our minds. One of the areas of renewing that needs to happen is how we view other people. And that's the focus of the passage that we're going to look at this morning. That the, the transformation that comes on the basis of God's mercy will in turn shape how we view people and how we treat people. So that believers who are shaped by the mercy of God will sacrificially give themselves to God through active love toward believers and unbelievers. So let me read our text for us beginning in verse 9. This is the Word of God. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor. Not lagging behind in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer, contributing to the needs of the saints, practicing hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written... Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him, and if he's thirsty, give him a drink, for in so doing you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not become overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. I'm going to switch to this one. So sacrificial believers must actively engage in biblical love for believers and unbelievers. If we have recognized what God has done for us in His mercy, that Calvary covers it all, that, that 
it should res- result in our total transformation, our desire to engage in that process. And specifically, what Paul wants to focus on here is love. And so he begins with a command to love in verse 9, and then he shows how that should be displayed. First, in our love for believers, verses 10 to 16, and then in our love for unbelievers in verses 17 through 21. So let's first look at the command here to love in verse 9. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Let love be without hypocrisy. Another way of saying that is just let your love be genuine. Have genuine love for others. You see, hypocrisy is insincere. It's pretend. It's external while in your heart you despise that person. So how do we do this? How do we have genuine love for people? And the answer is that we need to bathe all of our acts of love, all of our our affections in the love that's been shown to us. We, We bathe all of our love for other people in thoughts of the love that we have in the Gospel. In other words, reflect on the mercies of God. Look back up to verse 1, right? In view of God's mercies, or by the mercies of God, present your body. Why would we present our bodies to love one another in genuine ways? And the answer is because of God's mercy. So reflect on chapters 1 through 11 and the mercy that God has shown to you. Look at the love of God. I mean, aren't you thankful that God is not simply loving toward you externally, but in His heart He despises you? Or when you're not watching? No, God loves you from His heart. And so as you start to reflect on that and what He's done for you, then it should cause you to serve and to show love to a person that you despise. And the way that you do that is simply by bathing your acts of love in the love that, that's been given to, to you. Talk to God about it. And this includes that, that we ought to commit ourselves to loving others even when we don't feel like it. Right, we talked earlier in Sunday school time that, that uh, sometimes we can, uh, we can punt on our responsibilities to, to, um, to meet with God because of how we feel. And I think it's the same thing is true when it comes to how we love other people. We only do it when we feel like it and the rest of the time we're just not going to do it. But do you think like Jesus really felt like going to the cross? Do you think He really felt like dying and being uh, separated from His Father? His prayer said otherwise, right? He didn't feel like it. If this cup can pass from Me, let it. And yet He did it anyway. And so we need to love even when we don't feel like it. But, but the key here is without hypocrisy. That means without ulterior motives. Do you know the kind of people that, that they, they are doing things in order for them to get an advantage? In order for, that, for you to see something or for, for them to, to have something displayed? To them to get a better position? Whatever the case is, that's a hypocritical kind of love. A sincere love is one that doesn't have ulterior motives. And so the difference between a genuine love and hypocritical love, I think is very similar to the difference between complaining and lamenting. And the reason I I think of that is because we've been going through the Psalms on Wednesday night, and, and the difference between complaining and lamenting is complaining is taking the circumstances of life that are troublesome to us and charging God with some kind of evil because of those circumstances. That is, God, you you don't know what you're doing. I could do it better. Or complaining to other people, same sort of thing. And we don't trust that what God is doing is best. But but lamenting is different. 
It's taking those troublesome circumstances and offering them up to God and saying, God, I don't understand what's going on here. I am in trouble. Would you take care of the situation? I trust in you to do it. That's lamenting. I think the same thing is, is uh, the same kind of connection is true with uh, sincere love or insincere love versus sincere love. Insincere love is I'm going to do this action um, because I want something or because it's all about me. Or, but, but sincere love is I'm going to do this action because God has called me to love my neighbor as myself and I know that God will be pleased as I do it. And so God, I'm doing this. It's not my favorite thing to do. I don't feel like it at this time, but I'm going to do it because you've called me to do this. And so do you see how there's a difference there? It's not with an ulterior motive that I want to get something out of this, but rather I want to do this for God's sake. And so what does that look like specifically? Well, I think that will become clear as we, as we go through this text because now we've seen kind of the main command, love without hypocrisy. Now it's going to be spelled out for us and what it looks like in, in verses 10 through 21. All right, so let's look at those. Love to believers. Verses 10 through 16, love to believers. Here in verse 10 we have a commitment to love. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another. So here we have two commands that flesh out what it looks like to have sincere love for other people. It is to be devoted to one another in brotherly love, so show brotherly love, and give preference and honor. So first, to have devoted love. This devoted love is not one that wavers with feelings. It's the love that, that a couple has who has been married for the long time. right? If they, if they only stayed married as long as they had feelings for each other, then they might have, they might have given up a long time ago. Now, because, and the, the reason for that is because feelings come and go, don't they? But, but a love that is committed to the person it is a love that lasts forever. And if, if we base all that of our decisions on how we feel, then, then we're not going to be very committed. And, and you find that as circumstances get tough, as, as some of the initial feelings of infatuation start to fade, then, then you still have love, and that's the deep kind of love that God expects of us. Sincere love is devoted love. But sincere love is also a preferential love in the second part of verse 10. Notice, give preference to one another in honor. Give preference to one another. Now this verbal phrase, give preference, is only used one time in the entire New Testament, and it's right here. And so it's sometimes when the, the translators are translating a word that's only used one time, they have to, to, to figure it out from other sources, and it, it sometimes can be a little bit more difficult. The, the main way you find out the meaning of a word is look at the context. And the English Standard Version has outdo one another in showing honor. And I think this is the idea, that we should show honor to one another. That is, treat other people, and specifically I, thought, I think it's talking about believers, treat uh, believers with respect. Treat them as significant, as a person who has value. Note, the reason I think it's talking about believers here, by the way, is verse 10. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Okay, it's talking about a, relational, uh, a relation that we have, I think, within the body of Christ. And specifically, this last part is that we show honor to one another. That we respect and sh- treat other people as significant, as people of value. How do we do that? Well, Paul gives us a good example throughout his letters. He gives commendations to people where he publicly thanks them for God. 
And when Paul does that, says, I think you and I think you and he's not doing that or I thank God for you. He's not doing that in order with an ulterior motive, right? With hypocrisy. Like if I do this, then they're going to like me more or they're going to maybe ask me to, to come back more or maybe they'll send me more money. No, it wasn't to advance his position. He was not speaking with ulterior motives. He was genuinely thankful for them. And, and in his time alone with God, he would thank God for those people. He would spend time talking specifically about names of people that he knew and, and thanked God for them. And so then when he wrote to them, it wasn't some type, type of flattery, like, you know, I've never really thanked God for them, but I'm going to tell them anyway. You know, th- this is the type of love that is uh, a love that honors the other person. It shows that they are significant in the life of, of Paul. So if that's what we're supposed to do, if, if a committed love is a devoted love and a preferential love, how is it that we show preference to one another? How do we show honor to one another? And the answer is in verses 11 through 13. Now, uh, it's not very clear, it, unless you have a New American Standard, how these are connected. Because what you should see at the end of verse 10, that there is a direct command. Give preference. There's a direct command there. Now what some of the other translations do is they change verses 11 through 13. Instead of to have uh, verbal phrases that modify that, that, that last command in verse 10, they change them to more commands. And so it reads like this. At the end of verse 10, give preference to one another. And then it says something like, don't lag behind in diligence, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord. So it just sounds like a long list of commands. But what you need to know from, from uh, the original autographs is that, that what Paul was doing is he's giving a general command, verse 10, give preference to one another in honor, and here's how you do it. Notice all the ING words in verses 11 through 13. What that means is all those words modify this command in verse 10. How is it that we give preference? Well, we don't lag behind in diligence. We are being fervent in spirit. We're serving the Lord. We're rejoicing in hope. We're persevering in tribulation. We're being devoted to prayer. We're contributing to the needs of the saints. We're practicing hospitality. Do you see how those connect? So verse 10 is the main command. Give preference and honor. How do we do that? Well, we do all these things in verses 11 through 13. And that's one of the reasons I love the New American Standard so much particularly for reading and studying, is because it keeps those kinds of connections in the English that you might not see in other translations. Now, there are lots of good, other good translations, and so I don't want to minimize them, but, but this is one of the reasons that I use it, because it, it tries to keep it as close to the, the um, uh, a kind of a, a, a more study, studyable book, if, if, you, if that's a word. All right? So the commitment to love. How do we do that? How do we show preference to one another in love, and here's the way: in verses 11 through 13, we need to we need to show honor, uh, and we, first we do it diligently. In verse 11, we do it diligently. Uh, I guess I don't have those for you. You have to write these down. Verse 11, diligently. You see that there, not lagging behind in diligence. One of the temptations for us when it comes to loving other people is that we can kind of become lazy, right, in this responsibility that instead of doing it at all, we stop doing it. Instead of doing it with excellence, we stop doing it with excellence. We start kind of lagging back in diligence. And what, what God is saying is our responsibility, if we understand this mercy that's been given to us from Christ in salvation, we happily love other believers and we do it diligently. It's, it's a job, it's, a, it's work for us, but we do it. We're not lazy in it. Next, fervently. 
See that in the middle of verse 11? Fervent in spirit. The word fervent is a word that means to boil or to get hot. So get hot in, this, in, in your spirit. And one of the dangers of being a Christian for a long time is that we can become cooled and indifferent to the things of God, can't we? And, and we need to maintain our diligence with a fervency that's fueled by our recognition of what God's done for us. So you, you, are you lacking the fire that's necessary to, to reach out and, and show love to other believers? Well, again, go back to what God has done for you. That should fuel your fire, fuel your passion to show love for others as we see ourselves more and more in light of who God is, in, 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 in light of who we are uh, before God, then it, it helps us to, to show love to other people. Third, worshipfully. Oops, worshipfully. Uh, at the end of verse 11, says, serving the Lord. So as we show love, this service ought to be done as to the Lord. We're not just doing it for the sake of that person. We're not just doing it for the sake of ourselves and what kind of thing we can get out of it. We're doing it primarily and solely for, uh, for God and His desires. Verse 12, joyfully and filled with hope, says rejoicing in hope. So we, we do this with joy. We don't do it begrudgingly because we have eternity in view. We know that this actually means something for our eternity and for their eternity. That is, that it actually advances them in the work that God is doing, and so we keep eternal things in view. Yes, it's hard. Yes, sometimes I don't want to do it, but I'm going to do it because I know that, that, that God is pleased in that and that there will be great reward in eternity. Number five, uh, continually. Continually there in the middle of verse 12. It says, uh, persevering in tribulation. So while we have joy and hope in what we're doing, at the same time we need to recognize that there are going to be times when tribulations and difficulties pepper our lives and make it more difficult to love than it was before. Right? And, and what Paul is telling us, what the Holy Spirit is teaching us, is that we need to persevere in that. We need to push through and endure despite the fact that trials do come. And then verse 12 at the end, prayerfully, or we could say dependently, says ser- serving, um, persevering in tribulation and devoted to prayer. So how do we do this? How do we persevere in tribulation by showing love? How do we show honor to people even when, uh, when difficulties come? Well, I think we do it dependently, but that is devoting ourselves to prayer. In verse 7, I'm sorry, verse 13, number 7, generously. So how do we show preferential love? We do it in all these ways, and then we do it generously in verse 13. It says, contributing to the needs of the saints. The way that preferential love is expressed is by giving of ourselves and our resources to other people who are lacking. One of the things that Paul prays for, he says, I pray to God that I will be able to supply what is lacking in your faith. And, and have you ever thought about that? That the God has actually gifted you with various things that you can help to supply what is lacking in the faith of other people? And, and God has, has given us resources like that. But not only that, I think physical resources, financial resources that we can give to supply to those who are lacking. So don't balk on your responsibility to love other b- believers. Do you know why that we can love? 1 John 4.19 says, We love Him because He what? He first loved us. And if someone says, it goes on to say, if someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. 
For the one who does not love his brother, brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, that the one who loves God should love his brother also. That's a pretty tall command that, that, and expectation that God has. If we don't love our brother whom we have seen, we don't love God. We are a liar. And, and so how can we do this? Well, we recognize what God has first done for us. If any love comes from us for other people, it has to be because God loved us first. First, because by nature, we ignore the needs of others. By nature, we are self-centered, not other-centered. That's because we're always looking out for number one. And so we should be generous in the way that we help other people contribute to their needs. And then finally, number eight, sacrificially at the end of verse 13, practicing hospitality. In the New Testament, hospitality was meant to give food and shelter to strangers. That is, to travelers who were coming through. So it was very difficult for them to find housing and to be cared for, to have provisions. And so the application for us is not that you have to have people over your house every week. It's not the application. That may be, that may be a way that, that you apply it, but, but, but the direct command has to do with giving practical help to others. So whether it be your time or your resources, do you see a need? Move to meet that need. It might be sacrificing time that you would have otherwise used for your own recreation. It might be giving your ear to a person who's hurting or confused or distressed. And and so what that means is if we're going to show preference for one another, then as individual members of this body, we need to have our ear to the ground to what kind of needs are out there. What kind of needs are out there with other members in this church? That, that requires that we take some time and just talk to people and listen to them. That is hospitality in its truest form. It's listening to the needs of others and then moving to respond. So the commitment to love, the call to love, and then thirdly, here with regard to believers, there is a consideration of love. In verses 14 through 16. He says, Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Now you might be thinking, wait a second, Paul's not talking about believers anymore. He's probably moving to unbelievers. But, but I think based on the context that he's actually talking about believers here. Bless those who persecute you. Persecutors are from outside the church. That's, persecutors are unbelievers. And, and we're going to see that he's going to say, don't repay evil for evil, verse 17. Respond to evil with good, verse 21. And so we might think, well, maybe this verse belongs down there. But I think based on the context in verses 10 to 13, he's saying show love, brotherly love. Show love to other believers. And then verses 15 and 16, he's going to say, Rejoice with those who rejoice. He's not talking about unbelievers there. Be of the same mind toward one another. That's, that's all believers. So verses 10 to 13, love to believers. 15 and 16, love to believers. Verse 14, I would suggest to you, is also talking about showing love to believers. So what is the command? Here's the command. Bless those who persecute you. And I would say it this way, bless the people in your church who persecute you. Now you might be thinking, wait a second, how could that be possible? Let me just prove it to you with two examples. Okay, let, let's take a believing husband and a believing wife. Could a believing husband ever persecute his believing wife in the way that he talks about her or, or demeans kind of, how she's trying to pursue godliness. Could a believing husband ever do that to a believing wife? I'll let the, wife, the wives answer that, ladies. Yes. Okay. The truth is that we're often hurt by the people that are closest to us, aren't we? 
And we often do the most hurt to the people who are closest to us. Even though they're not our enemies. And, and yet as Christians, let's say within that marriage relationship, we are called to love that person by doing this very thing in this verse. Bless them even when they persecute you. And that means that we need to be willing to forgive someone who is close to us who harms us. And so, yes, we can apply this at home. There's one example. But I think what Paul is doing is he's applying it to the church. Applying it to the church. That there are people in our church who will wound us. Who will seek to do damage to us in a moment of weakness. And our response should not be to return the evil in kind or to persecute in return, but to bless them. So that's the first example. second example is, how about in the Scriptures? Can you think of any conflict that one person or a group of people had toward one another within a church setting that could be described as persecution. And the first one that comes to mind for me is Acts chapter 6 with the widows who were not being cared for. They felt like the leaders of the church were not taking care of them. And, and it's like, wait a second, you're taking care of those widows, but you're not taking care of our widows. And, and, and what were they supposed to do in that situation? How could they possibly respond in a place where they felt like they were being mistreated? see, by nature, we respond to evil with evil. That's what we do by nature. Spend some time in the nursery and, and you'll, you'll see that, that. That when someone gets bitten, their response is they want to bite back. They want the other person to feel that pain. And so in the church, we have that same natural tendency that when we are persecuted, we want to curse them. We want to call for a disaster. But notice what verse 14, bless and do not curse. Don't call for a disaster on them. Don't wish that they'll be destroyed. Don't persecute them back, but instead do the opposite. Show love to them. Cultivate a heart of love toward them. So, so we need to, to bless those who persecute us. Secondly, we need to empathize. Let me see if I have... Yeah, I do have these. Okay. So do good to your persecutors and then empathize with believers. Verse 15. If someone's rejoicing, rejoice with them. If someone's weeping, weep with them. One of the things that happens, I think supernaturally, but, but naturally, when we come together with people that we love, we, we start to show more and more love towards one another. When they have periods of joy, then we respond with joy in those times of joy with them. When they have times of sorrow, we weep with them. And, and, and so when we come into close union with one another, then what happens is their successes become our successes and their failures or their losses become our losses. We feel their pain, so to speak. One of the great values of playing on a sports team is that, that you get to learn this kind of thing firsthand. Right? If you're sitting on the bench, you don't get as much playing time as you want and your team wins and you, you barely played, you barely contributed, you didn't get much attention... Maybe you didn't get the winning basket. Whatever the case, the expression of your character and your unity with your team will be revealed not in whether or not you can, you can make the winning shot, but whether or not you are a team player. Whether or not you can experience or pleasure and joy when someone else gets the credit. Or when another player gets hurt, our first thought should not be, yes, more playing time for me. Or I'm glad it wasn't me. But instead... We feel their pain. We, we kind of try to put ourselves in their shoes and see what they're feeling and, and weep with them. 
And what I'm saying is that, that we are a team as a church. We're on the same team. And we ought to, when we see someone have joy, not be jealous. Man, why did they get that? But rather, we should be joyful with them. Do you see what God is doing to them? Do you see how merciful God has been? Or when they sorrow, we don't say, ha, ah, yeah, you deserved it. You lost that family member. You, you lost your job or whatever. You know, we wouldn't, we'd never say that in public, but, but we have those thoughts at times and we need to guard ourselves. If we're going to show genuine love, we treat their successes as ours. And I can say that one of the great joys that I have of being your pastor is watching you empathize with other believers, both in times of joy and in sorrow. Now you come to the, the side of people who are going through various kinds of times. And I love to see that. And I know that God does as well. Thirdly, we need to live in harmony with believers in verse 16. Be of the same mind toward one another. Now that, that word toward is very important because you might think be of the same mind with one another. That is, everybody has to have the same view on every single thing about every single item. And that's not what Paul's saying. He's saying don't don't treat people with favoritism. Hey, don't, you need to have the same sort of treatment that you treat one person with as the other. So don't, you know, when the rich person comes in, I've spent a lot of time with that person, like James 2 talks about, but instead um, give honor to everyone, right? That's, the, that's, the, that's kind of the command that we saw in verse 10. Show preference to one another with honor. And then number four, be humble. The greatest enemy to a preferential love that will selflessly give itself to serve the needs of others, the greatest enemy to that is pride. That is, that, that we, for some reason, think that we're better than that person or we're thinking that they don't deserve that. And so we don't want to come and show love to them. We don't want to selflessly give. Why should I have to bend my knee in service to that person? They don't deserve it. That's pride. What Paul is saying here in verse 16 is, is do not be haughty in your, in your mind, but associate with the lowly. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Paul's been saying that a lot in chapter 11. Don't be wise in your own estimation. Don't be conceited. Don't be arrogant with regard to how you view yourself in comparison to the Jews. But inside the context of the church, don't think you're better than you are. Have a sober judgment of yourself. So show love to other believers. Next, show love for unbelievers. This is obviously outside of the church. We transition from showing love to believers to showing love to unbelievers. What does that look like? Well, first, five things. First, don't retaliate. <clears throat> Verse 17, don't retaliate. Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. Now, this is not an easy one. Just watch the presidential debates and you'll see that the natural response that people have when being mistreated is to do what? To mistreat them back, right? We want to get a zinger in on them. But that's not the way of a Christian. Instead, what we need to do is give honor to unbelievers. Respect what is right. Literally, give thought to what is honorable. And that means that even when we're talking with our enemies, that we treat them with respect and honor. Now, that may not win you a presidential nomination. But, but some, of, some things are more important than that, right? And that is pleasing God. And so we do this in a way that would serve their needs 
We, we don't retaliate. When they give evil to us, we don't return that evil in kind. Someone cuts us off, we want to cut them off on the road, right? So they f- know what we feel like. But that's not the way of a Christian. And when we do this, it actually helps. Notice um, verse 17, the second part, respect what is right in the sight of all men. Then, then it, we need to keep in mind that people are watching. And, and as we do good to non-Christians, then, then God can be glorified. Secondly, how do we show love for unbelievers? We seek peace. Now notice what Paul does not say in verse 18. He does not say, no matter what, be at peace with all men. What does he say? He says, if possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. So that's a very important distinction because if you seek peace at all costs, if you're the type of you know, peacemaker, you're always wanting to see people have peace, then you will kill your relationship with God. If your primary concern is to please people, you will spend an eternity in hell. Okay. Now, now the other danger is, the other extreme, one danger is, okay, I want to just seek peace at all costs. I don't, I'm not concerned with what God's truth is. I just want everybody to get along. Okay, that's one extreme. The other extreme is that, that we just are more contentious. We're seeking out quarrels and picking fights, thinking that everyone in the world is mad at us. And, and, and so what we need to do is draw a line in the sand and, and, and make a stand. Don't be combative. Instead, whenever possible, whenever possible, seek peace. This is, in fact, one of the qualifications of pastors that they have to, be, they have, to have a good reputation with those outside the church. So, so don't be picking fights on Facebook over non-essential issues. Or don't be picking fights with your neighbors because they're not living the same way as you. They're unbelievers. They're not going to live the same way as you. Instead, recognize that there are tensions in the world and there are conflicts, but don't seek them out. Right? Instead, seek peace. Whenever possible, seek peace with all people. Number three, don't respond to evil with evil. This is very similar to what he said in verse 17, right? Don't, don't repay evil for evil. Don't retaliate. When people wrong us, we want to rise up and pay them back with the wrong, but we even want to do this with our kids, right? If someone wrongs our kid, we want their kid to feel that pain or their, we want the, that kid's parent to feel that pain, but, but the Holy Spirit's calling us to guard our sinful inhibitions not to do harm in return. Number four, trust God. Trust God, verse 19. says, but leave room for the wrath of God. If we step out and take vengeance for ourselves, we don't leave any room for God to bring judgment on them. Okay, so stay in your lane. God's in the judgment lane. He'll take care of that. Trust Him in that. Stay in your lane. Your responsibility is just to seek peace with people as much as possible. Speak the truth of God. Do you believe that God will bring final judgment in His lane? Do you believe that? Do you believe that if He wanted to, God could bring judgment now? Then trust Him in it. Let, let him take care of that. Don't repay them evil for evil. Don't take out vengeance. That's, what, that's God's job. Well, how do we do this? Well, we remember that God is in control and that God is faithful to his promises. He, always will, he, he will make all things right in the end. So trust God. And then number five, how do, we, how do we show love to unbelievers? Respond to their evil with good. Pursue kindness, kindness even though your enemy doesn't deserve it. 
Your responsibility is to bless your enemy. You see, the natural result will be is that they will have burning coals heaped on their head. Notice that at the end of verse 20. When you give food to them or you give drink to them, in doing so you will heap burning coals on their head. Now that heap burning coals is a phrase that's used in the Old Testament and every time it's used it's always referring to God's judgment. And so he's not saying do good to them so that God judges them. That's not what he's saying. Instead he's saying when you do good to them recognize that the result will be that they will receive greater judgment in the end if they don't repent, right? That if they don't repent, they, God will actually say, well, what about what that believer did to you? What, what about that good thing that that believer did to you? How did you not respond to that with repentance and faith? God's saying, I'm going to bring judgment on them. I'm going to heap burning coals on their head. And one of the ways that they're going to be judged is based on the good acts of kindness that you did to them. And so here's the point. We might think that since our enemies will not repent, that that we should do nothing for them, right? Repay evil with nothing. No, our temptation is to repay evil with evil, but God's not saying repay evil with nothing. He's saying repay evil when you're treated, when you're mistreated. You respond to that with good. Notice verse 21 there. Do not be overcome by evil. See, when you respond to evil with evil or you respond to evil with nothing, then evil's won. But if you want good to win, then you respond to that evil with good. Here's Consider the example of David to Saul. Right? David has two close encounters, very close encounters with Saul where David could have killed him. And yet David knew Saul's insincerity. David knew that Saul had had a pattern of not repenting. And David knew that Saul had failed him over and over again. Yet, did you notice how David responded to to Saul? Each time he responded to Saul's evil with good. I will not kill the Lord's anointed. And that should serve to us as an example. We may see a pattern of people continually to hurt us, continually harming us, persecuting, mistreating us. And we might think, well, they deserve God's wrath. And yes, they may. But that's not your job. Leave it to God. Leave room for the wrath of God. Don't repay evil with evil. Instead, respond to evil. Overcome evil with good. Can you think of anyone in Scripture who overcame evil with good? Do you remember Joseph? Joseph, the first time he sees his brothers, could have been like, all right, take them out to the gallows. They're all dead. They betrayed me. Say Benjamin. He's my blood brother. But but everybody else. My half-brothers, get them out of here. Oh, instead, he, he wants to make sure that they're actually repentant. So he goes through these all these circumstances of to see if they're really repentant or if they're really just talking the talk. And in the end, when Joseph's father dies, they say, Joseph, don't kill us. Please don't kill us. And Joseph said, I'm not going to kill you. Because you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. And so because of that, because I trust God's purposes, I can respond to you with goodness, with kindness. And of course, Jesus responded to evil with good as well. You probably think of a number more. Let me just leave you with a summary of the passage and then encourage you in a couple of ways how we can improve. The summary of the passage, I think, comes, uh, we could summarize it with Galatians 6.10. 
do good to all people. So believers and unbelievers, show love to all people, but especially those who are of the household of faith. So you should, you should show love to all people. That should be part of your desire and goal in life. Do good to as many people as you know, but, but especially do good to those who are believers. Now let me give you an example and a motivation. Example comes from Jesus in 1 John 3.16. We know love by this, that He laid down His life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. Why would I ever want to show myself in love? Why would I ever want to give preferential treatment to someone who is despicable? And the answer? It's because of what Jesus did to you. What Jesus did to me. I was despicable. I did not deserve God's love. I betrayed Him. I turned my back on Him. I defied Him over and over and over again. And what did Christ do? He laid down His life for me. So how can we not lay down, be willing to lay down our lives in sacrificial service to our brothers, the same people for whom Christ died? Let me finish with an exhortation to love. Okay, just in one word, love. Do nothing, Philippians 2.3 says, from selfish or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves. This is how Jesus did. Follow the example of Christ. Is there one person in your family or in this church that you find particularly difficult to love? Well, how does this passage shape how you need to interact with them? Let's start with with have you seen what God has done for you? And then secondly, do you value that person? Or have you written them off as a piece of garbage? Have you devoted yourself to praying for them and serving them? Maybe that person has committed a specific and vile act of evil against you and you just can't seem to get past that. Well, the proper response is not to return their evil with evil, but to overcome evil with good. Bless those who persecute you. Consider God's mercies that He has poured out on you when you committed evil against Him. And what did God do for you? While you were still a sinner, Christ died for you. He did not respond to your evil with evil, but with good. And if we're going to be committed to total transformation as a congregation that is pursuing holiness in unity then we must show love to one another and also to non-Christians. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful for the motivation and the example that we have in Jesus Christ that He was willing to lay down His life for us. And so we pray that You would help us to be willing to lay down our lives for others. Lord, it may not be in in actually giving our life that, that we actually have to die for the other person but sometimes it's, it's more difficult to live and to serve that person than it is to, to lay down our life for them. And so we pray for your grace and being able to, to do that specifically within the closest relationships we, we have within our family, within our church, but then also in the, the more distant relationships with non-Christians. May we show love to believers and unbelievers alike. May we seek peace, pursue it as Christ did, if possible. Or we want the truth of you to be known, but we also want people to see the love that we have for one another because they will know us by our love. 
And Lord, we pray that, that you would show us, each of us, specific ways in which we can grow in this area. Help us to be contrite before you and how we have failed, but then to turn to you for grace and moving forward. And we pray that the result would be that, that your church would be built up, Christ's church would be built up um, in unity and in love in a way that would honor his name. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.